0: Good morning, church. Um, This morning's reading is from Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 to 36. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boats and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord.
1: have the joy now of looking at the passage that was just read. Um, I'm sure like many of us, you know, sometimes we we come and we've just had one of those crazy weeks, Um, but we still have the privilege of hearing from God, right? We still have the privilege of looking at God's word. Um, And so let's pray that God would give us, yeah, God would give us joy, joy in this moment, joy in this moment that the the living God is a God who speaks and that he speaks to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for the privilege of hearing your word. We thank you, Lord, because there are many who have been born and have died and have never had the privilege of hearing your word taught. And yet, Lord, here we are. We have that privilege to, to hear from you, the living God. I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not take it for granted, I pray, Lord, that familiarity would not breed contempt, uh, that we would not become so used to hearing your Word that we think of it as a light thing. Help us to see your word as more precious than gold, as sweeter than honey. Lord, help us to taste the sweetness of your word this morning. Lord, we don't just want to see you, we don't even just want to hear from you. Lord, we want to taste and see that you are good this morning. So Lord, we ask that you would do that by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as I was looking at this text this uh, morning, I was trying to figure out what this text was all about, what this passage was all about, what the, the central idea of this passage is. And I was looking, I was looking, I was looking, what, what's the thing, What what's this text, what's this passage all about? And the longer I looked, um, the clearer and clearer it was to me that I think this passage really is just here to help us to see that Jesus is wonderful. Right? That's it really. That Jesus is wonderful. And yet, there's a problem with me using that term, that word, wonderful. Right? Because wonderful is one of those words that's lost meaning over time. Right? I had someone say this recently about the word awesome, similar kind of thing. These are words that have lost meaning, right? So once upon a time, when you said something was wonderful, you meant that it made you full of wonder. It was something that caused you to be just full of wonder. When you said something was awesome, it meant that it filled you with awe. But nowadays, wonderful and awesome are just words that mean you like something, Right? So you talk about how that food was, that brunch was wonderful, and all that means is that you enjoyed the food, right? Um, Where in the time where the World Cup was on, on, right, you say that that goal was awesome, and all you mean was that it was it was a nice goal, wasn't your average kind of goal? Was it was it was it was a bit nice, right? We we even use it for for things like music, for films, even films that aren't that good. You might hear someone say that Black Panther two was wonderful, right? and what you mean is that you 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 enjoyed it. But really, to say something is wonderful, to say something is awesome, and when we're saying that Jesus is wonderful, when we're saying that Jesus is awesome, we are saying something far more profound. We are saying there is something about Jesus that fills us with wonder and awe. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look through the various elements of this passage and see just how wonderful Jesus is. And the first thing, the first wonderful thing we see about Jesus is his wonderful compassion. So look with me from verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus' compassion is wonderful. This is one of the great themes that you see throughout the Gospels. Again and again when you see the Gospels, what you see is that Jesus' response to human need, to our need, is compassion. He has compassion. We, we looked at the word this word before. It's a Greek word. It's, it's a very physical word. You, you might say that Jesus' heart goes out to people right? Jesus' heart is almost broken for people. The the Jesus that we meet in the gospel is moved by the needs of people. He's not indifferent. He's not standoffish. No, when he sees people in need, his heart is moved towards them. That's why he heals people here. That's why in a second he will feed these people. Jesus has wonderful compassion. And his compassion is so great that it causes us to be full of wonder. Look, I I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, the times where we are tempted to to lack compassion are the times when people's needs get in the way of our plans, right? So, you know, if I'm going walking down the road normally and I see someone who who wants money or something, you know, and and wants to strike up a conversation, you know, I might be inclined, I might have compassion. But let's say I have a plan and I'm running late or I'm doing something. It is really easy for me to just discard that person's need. Because I've got a plan, I've got something that I'm doing. Well, Jesus' compassion here is remarkable because Jesus' plan is interrupted. Right, Verse 13 tells us, Jesus goes into a boat. He goes into a whole boat to go somewhere, to a desolate place, to be by himself. Right, So this is Jesus' downtime. Uh, Based on what we see later on in the passage, probably Jesus has gone alone to this desolate place in order to pray. Time to be alone with his Father, like precious communion time. Jesus has intentionally left the crowds, he's gone to this wilderness place, so that he can be alone to pray. And perhaps just as Jesus is getting on his knees and starting to pray, he starts hearing noise. And it's the noise of a multitude of people coming into the desert. A massive crowd, right? So late in this passage, we read that there's 5,000 men, not included women and children, right? So if you add the women and children, maybe there's close to 20,000 people here. So again, get the scene. Jesus has gone into a wilderness to be by himself. Maybe 20,000 people show up to interrupt his time by himself. And I wonder if it were you, how you would respond. You know, there would have been nothing wrong if Jesus said, you know what, guys, I'm with you all the time. This is me time. Come back tomorrow. Right? There would have been nothing wrong with that. You know, boundaries are good. Some of you, some of us, we, we need more, more boundaries. There would have been nothing wrong with that. But when we look at Jesus' response, what we see is a Jesus who doesn't respond with frustration. He responds with compassion. The Bible doesn't tell us, Matthew doesn't even just tell us that Jesus heals them or Jesus feeds them. The Bible tells us something about what's going on in the emotional life of Jesus. What his heart looks like at that moment. And at that moment, what Jesus' heart looks like is a heart that's full of compassion for these people who are in need. Jesus' love is wonderful. Look, if, if I were Jesus, right, um I'm sure I would have been tempted, maybe, you know, you heal, maybe you heal them, you know, maybe you feed them, because, you know, you don't want it to look bad. But if someone was able to look in my heart, they would see something different, right? So as you're healing someone or you're giving sight to someone, in your heart you're thinking, these guys again, like, why can I never get that time by myself? Why are these guys always on my cape? Like, Listen, I I love this, but this is me time. Jesus has gone away to be by himself. Jesus could have been healing. He could have been feeding with a heart that was full of frustration and annoyance at the fact that these guys have come and they've interrupted this time. But the Bible gives us a window into Jesus' heart. And when he sees need, he's not full of frustration, despite the fact that his plans have been ripped to shreds. Jesus' heart is full of compassion. And as you read through the Gospels, I hope you notice that. Again and again, Jesus meets people with problems. And again and again, the Bible tells us Jesus has compassion. Again and again. His heart is full of compassion. It's full of compassion. When people come with need, what you see again and again is Jesus has compassion. And he meets that need. You know, There's even a time in the Gospel of John, the the wedding in Cana, uh, the wine has run out. And they go to Jesus and say the the wine has run out And Jesus is like look this this is not my time But even in that situation Jesus turns water into wine Because Jesus has compassion on the fact that These guys have run out of wine At their wedding Jesus' heart is full of compassion You, You never could catch Jesus On a bad day you never catch him in a, in a bad mood. You never catch him where he doesn't care. No. Whenever Jesus' heart sees need, his heart is full of wonderful compassion. And as the gospel story continues, it's that same wonderful compassion that leads him to a Roman cross. It's that same wonderful love, that same wonderful compassion that keeps those nails in his hands as he struggles to breathe. Jesus' love is Wonderful. Quote uh, a song I've quoted before Jesus's love is very wonderful. It's so high you can't get over it, and it's so low you can't get under it, and it's so wide you can't get around it. Oh, what a wonderful love! That's what you see in the Gospels. A Jesus who has wonderful love, wonderful compassion. Jesus is wonderful. We, we see that in his compassion, but we also see this in his wonderful miracles particularly in this miracle of the feeding of the five thousand and we are filled with wonder because what matthew does is he tells us the story in such a way that we are to compare jesus with two old testament prophets right jesus matthew tells us that story to show us that jesus is far more wonderful than moses And Jesus is far more wonderful than Elisha. That's what we're going to see. So firstly, verse 15. Look with me from verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So this wonderful miracle is meant to cause us to think back to two Old Testament prophets, and the first of those is Moses. Uh, We've seen this time and time again in Matthew that Matthew portrays Jesus as a greater Moses. And that's true here. So in verse 15, the disciples say they are in a desolate place. The word there, the Greek word for desolate place is the word for wilderness. So what we have here is people hungry in a wilderness being fed by bread miraculously. In other words... Matthew wants us to think back to, in fact, all the gospel writers want us to think back to Moses and to Exodus, where God miraculously fed Israel with bread from heaven. And that was a wonderful thing, and that pointed to, actually, just how great, in one sense, God had made Moses. And yet the difference is that when you read Exodus, it's clear that Moses doesn't perform this miracle. Moses is simply the mediator. God is the one who provides the bread. But here, in Matthew, Jesus is the one who provides the bread. Jesus is this wonderful miracle worker who is greater than Moses. But you know, there's an even closer connection here to another Old Testament prophet. And that prophet's Elisha. So, I want you to stick with me for a second, right? Um, Last week, we spoke a bit about John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, the Gospels make clear, is like Elijah, He's like the new Elijah. Well, if you follow the story of the book of Kings, Elijah is the predecessor to a man called Elisha. So Elijah comes and then there's Elisha. Well, if John the Baptist is the new Elijah, it makes sense that the Gospels actually portray Jesus as the new and greater Elisha. Right? And this here is meant to point us to that. And in fact, there's loads of similarities between Jesus and Elisha. So, Firstly, their names mean almost the same thing, right? Jesus means Yahweh will save, Elisha means my my God will save. Both of them, they, they start their ministries with a handover at the Jordan River. If you read the book of Kings, Elisha's ministry really begins where he receives the kind of cloak from Elijah and he receives the double blessing from Elijah and that happens at the Jordan River. If you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, in fact, in all of the Gospel, Jesus' ministry begins also with this handover from John the Baptist to Jesus as the Spirit descends on Jesus. Only two people in the Bible are ever recorded as healing leprosy. It's Elisha and it's Jesus, right? Both of them, the Bible tells us, cause people to come back to life through their death, right? So, in the book of Kings... When Elisha dies, there's a time, it's a a, a fascinating narrative. Someone throws a dead body into Elisha's grave, and that person comes back to life. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we read that when Jesus dies, by his death, there are people that come back to life in Jerusalem. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus is being portrayed as this new and greater Elisha. So, okay, what has all of that got to do with the feeding of the five thousand? Let me read to you, and I think we'll have it up on the screen. 2 Kings 4, verse 42 to 44. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh airs of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he says it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Right. So when you're reading Matthew, Matthew wants you to think of 2 Kings. Right. Um, there's this need, there's people that are hungry, there's not enough food. God works a miracle such that there's enough food that not only do people eat... But there is leftover. Jesus is this greater Elisha. This wonderful miracle is portraying Jesus as this greater Elisha. And he's greater because the miracle is greater. Right? So let's do some quick math. Right? Elisha feeds a hundred people with twenty loaves. Right? So one loaf miraculously feeds five people with leftover. Jesus feeds 5,000, over 5,000 with five loaves, right? Each loaf feeds over a thousand people. Jesus is the greater Elisha. And this miracle is meant to leave us in wonder that he's the greater prophet. He's the greater prophet that Moses prophesied about. He's the greater prophet that Elisha points to. Jesus is wonderful and you see that through this great miracle. So Jesus is wonderful. We, we see it in his love. We see it in his wonderful miracles. We also see it in the fact that he is able to satisfy. So again, look with me from verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Jesus is wonderful because he is able to completely satisfy. So these guys who are hungry, they're not just given, you know, a little something to keep them going. Jesus so satisfies them that at the end there are 12 baskets that are full of leftover. Jesus is able to fully satisfy. And that leaves us in wonder because we as creatures are needy. We are dependent. We are always looking for something to satisfy us. We're always looking for food to satisfy our kind of physical appetites. We're looking for companionship to satisfy our emotional appetite, our emotional needs. But ultimately, what we're looking for is satisfaction for our souls. And Satan is always tempting us to find satisfaction in something else. right? Uh, those of us who are into shopping, you, you know it's like Black Friday, these crazy deals. It's amazing. Like You're constantly being told, if you buy this thing 50% off, this will satisfy you right? We think things will satisfy us. We think more money will satisfy us. We think relationships will satisfy us. We think sex or power will satisfy us. And all of those things, not just because the Bible says so, our own experience tells us none of those things can satisfy. But Jesus is able to satisfy. Jesus is able to make us content. There is a joy and satisfaction that can be found in Jesus And in none other than Jesus. And look, this is not just church talk, Bible talk. This is reality. Jesus is able to satisfy us. There is contentment to be found, deep contentment to be found in Jesus, both now and for eternity. And look, no doubt this feeling of the 5,000 is a picture of the Messianic banquet. This promise of this feast that in the future, when God has dealt with sin... And when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, that we will eat with God, this this feeding is a is a picture of that. It's a picture of the fact that in eternity we are going to be eternally satisfied by God. But even in the here and the now, Jesus is able to satisfy. He's wonderful because he can satisfy in ways that no one can. And when we know what it is to be satisfied by Jesus, we are full of wonder. Because here is a Jesus whose resources are infinite. Re- regardless of our lack or our want, there is more resource in Jesus than there is a lack in us. Jesus is able to satisfy us and fill us over and over and over, infinitely more times. Whatever we're looking to, it has an end, right? No matter how great a resource is, it's limited. Jesus' resources are limited. That means he's able to satisfy. That means he's able to give us life and life abundantly. Jesus is able to satisfy, and it demonstrates to us just how wonderful he is. Lastly, then, before we look at how we are to respond to this, we see that Jesus is wonderful because Jesus is sovereign, he's in control. Look at me from verse 22. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. We see how wonderful Jesus is because he's sovereign. He's in control. And we see that in this wonderful image of Jesus, he's he's walking on the sea. But he's not just walking on any sea. You know, when I remember hearing this in Sunday school, I was kind of, thought, you know, very kind of chilled sea, relaxed sea. But the Bible's clear. This sea is choppy. There's a storm going on. The sea is raging. The winds are raging. The, The waves are moving. Everything is going crazy. And there you see Jesus, and he's walking on that sea. Okay, let's do some background, right? The Bible, throughout the Bible, the sea is a picture of chaos. And it's a picture of chaos because it's unpredictable. It's violent. It was a very fearful thing for people in ancient times. It was a picture of chaos and destruction and death. Right, And that's why in the book of Revelation, we get this picture that in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more sea. In other words, that the chaos... That, is, that characterizes our world will be utterly done away with. But even here and now, while there is sea and there is chaos, Jesus is sovereign over it. He's wonderfully sovereign over it, right? You see these disciples, and once again, these fishermen are caught in this crazy storm. Once again, their life was full of chaos. And you know, that's not just true of the disciples, that's true of us. Our lives are chaotic, and they're chaotic because we live in a fallen world, and they're chaotic because we don't control things. We're not in control. Look, here we are in a a cost of living crisis. None of us here caused that, right? I I don't think, I, I don't know. I don't think any of you caused it, right? But here we are. It's happened, and we have to deal with it, right? Life betrays us we well, going around, life seems fine, it seems okay, and then all of a sudden you go to the doctor and there's this illness that you had no idea was coming. It's chaotic. Or, or there's heartbreak, there's a relationship that you treasure and you love, and all of a sudden that relationship is broken beyond repair. We are not in control, life is chaotic. Life is full of trouble. And yet, in the midst of that trouble, we have to remember this, Jesus is sovereign. He's in control. So the same storm that causes the disciples to be full of fear, that same storm, that same sea, Jesus is gliding on that sea. He's walking on that sea. Again, let's, let's go back to Revelation. We, we did that recently. Revelation chapter 4. Again, there's this promise that one day the sea will be no more. But in Revelation chapter 4, we get a picture of how the sea looks like to God. Because in Revelation 4, it's describing the throne room. And the Bible describes the sea. And the sea, the Bible says, is like glass. It's solid. It's still. The the sea, the chaos that we see, the things that just seem so chaotic. We don't know what's coming next. and, And there's this fear. We don't know when the next blow is going to come. The sea is chaotic to us. But to God, it's still. It's so still as to be solid. It's like glass, and that's why Jesus is walking on it. Because Jesus is sovereign over the chaos. He's gloriously sovereign. And when we see that, we see how wonderful He is. The same things that turn our lives upside down, the same things that we have no control over, are the same things that to Jesus are still. Because Jesus is wonderful, He's sovereign. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the wonder of Jesus? Well, two ways, right? This text gives us two ways. We respond in faith and we respond in worship. Same two ways, whether we're here, we're Christians or we're not Christians. It's the same two things that this text is calling us to do. So firstly, we respond in faith. Look with me from verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt?" The first response to the wonder of Jesus is faith. And we see that modeled very imperfectly by Peter. When Peter sees Jesus walking on this crazy sea as if it were glass, Peter's like, I want to do that. Look, we don't know why Peter wants to do that. It might just be he wants to show off, you know, in front of the disciples. Like, It may just be that. But in any case, Peter demonstrates faith. Because Jesus tells him to come. And Jesus, who walks on the sea as glass, enables Peter to walk on the sea as glass. Right. And as long as Peter is looking at Jesus, as long as he's trusting in Jesus, Jesus is so wonderful that he enables Peter to walk on water. Jesus is so trustworthy. Jesus is so wonderful that he's worthy of your trust, he's worthy of your faith. And in spite of the raging sea and the raging waves, Jesus is so wonderful that we can trust him. And yet the danger is, is that we are tempted to disbelieve. Look, I'm not sure. I don't know what area of your life that maybe perhaps seems so chaotic right now and so out of your control right now and so beyond you right now. Peter has to give us a picture that our response to the wonder of Jesus is to trust him. Trust Jesus with it. It's the same thing we see later on, verses 34 to 36, when these people are healed. They put their faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus with it. And Peter's faith is not perfect, right? It's not perfect because the Bible tells us as Peter is walking on the waves and he's looking at Jesus, at some point, Peter begins to lose sight of the wonder of Jesus and begins to look at the the greatness, or you might even say the wonder of the winds and the waves. And as he does so, he begins to sink. But church, if Jesus is so wonderful, why are we so fixated on the winds? If Jesus is so wonderful, why are we so fixated on the waves? If Jesus is so wonderful, why are we so preoccupied with the size of our problems? If Jesus is so wonderful, why is it that we allow the chaos to just so seep into our hearts? If Jesus is so wonderful, why are we so anxious about tomorrow? Why are we so fearful about the future? When we lose sight of Jesus, we begin to see how great our problems are. But Peter is a reminder that God is calling us to see how great our Jesus is. How wonderful our Jesus is. So this is a call for us to be caught up in the wonder of Jesus and trust in him, right? Sometimes things are so crazy that we lose sight of Jesus. This text reminds us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Satan performs this trick. He gets us to be so fixated on the issues and the problems of our lives that we forget there's Jesus. We forget how great he is. We forget how sovereign he is. We forget that he loves us and that he cares for us. We're so consumed with just how great this is and how troubling this is and how little control we have but Jesus is wonderful so we ought to trust in him right? and for those of us here who have never trusted in him this is a call for us to put our faith in him if you look to anything else you will be dissatisfied for eternity you will be dissatisfied in this life and ultimately you will be dissatisfied in the life to come Right. The only one that can satisfy both now and for eternity is Jesus. Jesus came and he died to offer us life with God. And that's what our souls were made for. And that's the only thing that can fully satisfy us. Trust in Jesus. This text is written, it gives us the wonder of Jesus so that we might respond in faith. But faith isn't the, the final goal. Faith is meant to lead us to worship. Verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The end, the goal, the final goal to which the wonder of Jesus is meant to lead us is worship. These disciples had just seen Jesus feed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him even enable Peter to walk on water. And they've just seen him once again calm a storm. And they are filled with wonder. They are filled with awe. And the response is worship. They worship him. They cry out that truly this Jesus is the Son of God. Look, the life that is full of seeing and beholding the wonder of Jesus is necessarily the life that is defined by worship. To the extent that we see how wonderful Jesus is, to that extent we will worship. We'll worship him. So when we see his love and we see his miracles, when we recognize that he alone can satisfy, when we recognize that he is sovereign over every situation, we respond like the elders in Revelation. In worship, we cry out that worthy is Jesus to receive glory and honor and power and dominion. That's how we respond. We respond in worship like the angels in Revelation who cry out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. We respond like the living creatures Revelation 4 who cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We respond like the crowds in Jerusalem when they saw Jesus going by, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We respond in praise. When we see how wonderful Jesus is, the response is worship. When we recognize how altogether lovely he is, and how altogether worthy he is, and how altogether wonderful, wonderful, full of wonder he is, we are left with nothing but worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Gospels. We thank you for this opportunity to adore him. To adore your son, Jesus Christ. To look at him. To see how wonderful he is. And Lord, in a world where, again, there's so many things that are competing for our attention, cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. And as we see him in all his wonder, help us to trust him and help us to worship him. We ask this in Jesus' name.